Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Habakkuk and what it looks like to practice faithful, unconditional wrestling with God. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining my co-host Aaron and me in conversation today are Chrissy Belcher and Anne Elizabeth Lazary. Chrissy, you're going to tell us a little bit about how you and Anne Elizabeth know one another. I don't remember the the date exactly, but we were both serving in medical campus outreach, which is a ministry at this church. And uh, Anne Elizabeth was more official than I was. Uh, and she was, uh, I don't know the official title, but either a women's director, director of a women's ministry. And I was a Bible study leader. And so we formed a friendship through that ministry and continued that. And so one of the like solidifying moments of our friendship was when we were on a mission trip in Peru and the tourist day was a trip to Machu Picchu. And so we both had somewhat responsibility and leadership roles to be on time to get back on the bus or the train. I can't remember exactly if there was both, but there was definitely a train. And we decided that we'd be in the group that would go to the top. So others took pictures with alpacas and bought souvenirs. And we just kept checking our watch and hiking it to the top. And so we started out with a decent group. And by the time we got to the top, it was myself, my husband, John and Elizabeth and one of the students. And so we made it. We made it to the top and we checked our watch and then we we didn't run, but we we had to hike it very quickly down the mountain to get back to the transportation home for the night. Um, so that that was one of those solidifying moments where it was like, we made it to the top, very, very quick picture, and now we got to book it back down. And I think we had told everyone, do not be late yeah, to back. Yeah, you probably had to tell everyone. Oh, the bus is leaving. Yeah, yeah. Anne Elizabeth probably so had to tell everyone, back. don't so be we late, were, don't miss the bus, don't miss the train. We were going like, really fast down the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. All right, well, let's do our first things first question. We do it at the beginning of every podcast. I'm going to ask you the question, and you're going to answer it, and also give us a little brief bio on yourself. So the first things first question for today is, what is the very first movie you remember seeing? And Chrissy, you get to kick us off. Um, My name is Chrissy Belcher, and I'm married to John Belcher, and we have three kids. They're Josiah, Lee Claire, and Titus, eight, five, and three years old, and I couldn't name one movie. Two of them came to mind. Both of them I saw while in elementary school. I don't remember what grade. It seems like there was a theme. Both of them, I remember being very sad after watching them. The movies were Old Yeller. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. And Where the Red Fern Grows. Oh, boy. Yeah. I don't remember exactly about the mo- what the movies were about. I just remember sad dogs. Like, that's what that's I remember. That's so true. Yeah. Yes. They totally play on your emotions, mm-hmm. those two movies. No doubt. Okay. What about you, Anne Elizabeth? My name is Anne Elizabeth Lazary. I've been married to George for 11 years. We have four kids, ages two, four, six, and eight, two girls and two boys. I have a few movies that I thought of. So the first movies I remember seeing are The Lame Before Time, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, and Cinderella. But I have a little trivia question that I wanted to ask. Do y'all know which one of these movies was the first one to come out? I'm going Lame Before Time. Cinderella. Oh, I think definitely. Oh, like Land Before Time was a, a contemporary movie, I think, right? Like when we were little. Yeah, Cinderella was 1950. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. And then the rest were like 89, 88, 91. Isn't that crazy? I didn't realize yeah. Cinderella was so long ago. Yeah, I feel like those early princess movies yeah. are really mm-hmm. old. They're older than you think. Okay, Chrissy Belcher going no, on the trivia team. Following that no, little tidbit that's away. It. That's all I got. That's all I got. <laughs> All right, so the first movie that I remember watching, just the the soundtrack of my childhood, Sound of Music. 
and yeah Mm -hmm. it's so funny i was talking to a friend of mine recently and she had said that one of her favorite movies was sound of music and she was kind of embarrassed she's like most people have such a deep and thoughtful movie and i'm like no that is the best i mean come on it's such a good movie the music is awesome and even last night i woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't go back to sleep i went home or i went downstairs popped in sound of music and i was asleep before Captain Von Trapp was on the scene, you know? It's just like soothing comfort food. I love that. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. I have to watch it. You've never <laughs> seen it? No, I mean, I, I think I, I know the blonde lady in the blue dress on the Green Hill. Is that, that is in the correct. Sound of Music? That is that's, correct. That's all I have. I have no words. <laughs> that's all, that's all I, I have. I have literally no words. <laughs> we just want you to know that the hills are alive with the Sound of Music. Yeah. Okay, Chrissy, I've heard that too. In case you're wondering. <laughs> all right, well, I think mine, I don't know what the first one I saw was, but I have traumatic memories that oh come boy. back to me as well Chrissy when I think of Bambi like mm. I'm sure Bambi was in my young years I don't know Anne Elizabeth mm. where that factored in on the timeline but I just remember so vividly when his mom got shot and he was all by himself and the dad comes over with his big antlers you know and and the mama had been so sweet and so tender mm. and they had had played in the woods and it was all roses and then she dies and then the stern dad comes onto the scene and he, he's not sure what to make of him because he hasn't really spent a lot of time with his dad at that point, I guess. I don't know if that's 1950s uh, or not, but that was good. <laughs> We're really reading into this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of the feel of it. I just remember being thinking, oh, they went from so tender and sweet to like, oh, who's going to love him now? Like he, all of a sudden he's forced to grow up, which I know that's reading a lot into it, but obviously it did traumatize me to some degree. And I was thinking as I... I was thinking about that movie that in some ways uh, this book of Habakkuk has been requiring us to grow up uh, into a willingness to name and live into some of the evil realities of life. So Habakkuk has given us words to put to these evil realities and he's shown us what it is to take our resulting questions and doubts to God, who, although he may not initially match our expectations of what a loving, powerful God should be, Uh, He really does answer us in such a way, even in the book of Habakkuk, that we do see him to be the perfect father that we need. So our passage for today is found a little over halfway through Habakkuk's prayer. In this prayer, uh, he is responding to God's revelation of himself. And in this prayer, Habakkuk gives words to the words God has given him. Habakkuk's responding to God's revelation of himself as the Lord, the one who is in his holy temple, before whom all the earth will keep silence. So the Lord has revealed himself to Habakkuk. He's revealed himself to be sovereign, to be just, to be merciful, to be glorious. And now Habakkuk is responding to what he has seen. And in this prayer, he's calling to mind all the ways that God has dealt with his people in the past in order to give him Habakkuk comfort as he waits for God's promised wrath and mercy to come. So I'm going to begin reading in chapter 3, verse 12. And we'll go through 15. And Habakkuk says in this prayer, You, and he's referring to the Lord, marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. 
So Aaron, talk to us a little bit about what you saw in this passage. Yeah, I think, you know, we're in the middle, like you said, of this hymn at the end of Habakkuk. And this is a tough part to just pull out and really sit with by itself. Yes. So I think what we see here is that, I I mean... We've talked about this several times. I've thoroughly enjoyed going back through and listening to George's sermons. Those were such a pivotal series for me as he was teaching through that in 2014, I believe. And if you get the chance, go back and listen to them. But that's George Robertson. That's right. On the archives of the First Prez website, if you really want to do some sleuthing around. And I think one of the things that he's talking about through this passage is that God delivers us from his enemies and how our enemies, like who or what we might identify as our enemies, aren't always the same as his enemies and his enemies. I mean, just to make it concise, these are my words, not George's. So you don't take this to the bank, but I think this is uh, pretty accurate. Sin and death, tyranny of the devil. And so he's Mm -hmm. delivering us from those things. And that's what we see in this passage, that he is righteously going to destroy all things that are unrighteous because he is good and holy. And those that are his, he invites into that righteousness, cloaks us in that righteousness, runs towards us, delivers us with his sovereign, mighty power. And while this is, you pulled out a very tough piece of this poem to look at, it is a piece that is saying that God is just and he is merciful. And I think you see those both here and it holds that tension for us. Yeah. Well, I appreciate how you pulled those those three things out because we were talking about this with our teaching team. We're teaching through Habakkuk on Wednesday mornings and we talk about the passage the week before the person's going to teach. And we were just asking that question, what is the deliverance that's promised here that he goes out to do? Because... Babylon still comes, Mm -hmm. right? The thing that maybe is the most immediate fear of Habakkuk's. So what's the deliverance that the Lord offers? But when you're saying that, it's like the Lord may not give you those circumstantial things you're hoping for, or maybe even other things that you expect the Lord to do. But he does promise to conquer, what did you say, death? Sin, death, and the tyranny of the devil. Sin, death, and the tyranny of the devil. I think that's straight out of the Westminster Confession, so maybe we should take that to the bank. I think you should. I think it's a helpful way of of remembering what kind of deliverance are we talking about here, Mm -hmm. and just that God promises it for his people and for his anointed, for those he has made a covenant covenant with. Well, and the biblical narrative, of course, is always inviting us to see the world through an eternal lens, and this is one of those moments where it's like you can look at things with your temporary circumstantial lens and feel overcome with grief and um, the imminent destruction that you may face or you can if you are a child of God rest in his love and know that you have that eternal hope and eternal lens to see the world through yeah all right so Chrissy start us off and what particularly surprised or interested you in this passage yes I looked at the progression of the verses in Felic and the Asol that Habakkuk is remembering how um, God has shown himself and he paired God's anger and his fury with also his grace and mercy as he's providing salvation for his people. And when you look at verses 12 and 13, and you read through those, there's a description of how God moved through the earth with fury and anger, but it was purposeful. And the description that you get of the threshing is one where you're dividing inedible from edible. And so a good and a bad. And so you have the anger and the wrath, but it's not a blind rage. God was still preserving that remnant that we see throughout scripture and potentially even looking at how like that could be disciplining his people as well, addressing the evil of the time and and disciplining his people. And then verse 13 further describes how God pursues his people and reminds us 
that God brings salvation, but he's also bringing justice at the same time because the end of verse 13 shows us that there's going to there's hope that God will address the evil and and end it and conquer it. And as you move to 14, I saw how God showed his protection for his people. And verse 15 is reminding us that who the creator is, it's God uh, and the creator is conquering the sea, something that he created. So I felt like, too, if you look at 13 and 15, it was a that description of the already but not yet in a way that you see God in 13 coming and conquering sin and death and providing salvation for all who believe in him. And then in verse 15 is that picture of God's going to bring the new heaven and the new earth, but it hasn't happened yet. Um, and so we kind of see that hope and revelation of he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There's no more death and no more tears. The first thing that I thought was interesting is I loved how in verse 13b, Habakkuk remembers when God crushed the head of the house of the wicked and how this echoes all the way back to the first announcement of the gospel in Genesis 3.15, which says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This points toward a descendant of Eve defeating Satan, which we ultimately know as Christ. It is such a clear picture that all of scripture from beginning to end is weaving a story of redemption. In this season of having littles, we have read the Jesus Storybook Bible often to our kids, and this passage in the book resonates with me and puts it so simply but clearly. Quick caveat, it's going to refer to stories, and earlier in the book it clarifies that all of the stories it is telling are true. So when it says story, it's said earlier that these are all true stories. So it says there are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the pieces that make all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is a child upon whom everything would depend. So if I think about Habakkuk as a whole, and even look at looking at this verse in 13b, he only sees one part of the puzzle that the Lord is orchestrating, but we will see the Lord developing in him a deeper trust in who he is and his character as he remembers what the Lord has done. Another thought that I had is the way that the sea imagery is weaved through scripture. And I'm kind of going to verse 15 here. We know Israel wandered the desert for 40 years. They were not sea people. Lydia Brownback, who wrote the study that we're studying, touched on this point that the sea was more about transportation and commerce in those days. It was not a place of vacation like we tend to see it as. So with this framework, when I think about the Lord trampling the sea with his horses, churning the great waters in verse 15 in this passage in Habakkuk, it adds another level of victory. The Lord is the creator and commander of the sea, which is sweet imagery for people for whom the sea could be a stressor, source of fear and threat. So if you think back over the entire Bible, you have the waters of the deep being at the beginning before God created the world. You see the Lord bringing judgment on evil through Noah and the flood. You see Jonah being thrown into the sea and swallowed by a big fish. You see Israel being led through the Red Sea that the Lord parts for them, which is what this verse in Habakkuk is referring back to. All of these actions of the Lord involve the sea and the waters, and most of them involve some sort of danger. And so my view of the sea before was more of one that the Lord created it. It has beautiful fish and creatures. He shows his splendor and his beauty through the sea. We love to visit the aquarium and praise the Lord for all the beautiful creatures he has created. 
all of these things are good and true, but my view of the sea and the Lord's power has been expanded as I've thought over this passage of scripture and thought about the Bible as a whole. The Lord is the creator and commander of the sea, and this victory shows his immense power. So it's interesting for me to even think about this verse and the phrasing, you trampled the sea with your horses, and how that is so much deeper meaning when I realized the function and attitude that people had toward the sea in those days. He was victorious over the sea. I also am very engaged in the idea of the water and the chaos and how the Lord brings that under control. And even in the Gospels, you see him walking upon the water. So I do mm-hmm. think that that is a, a theme that is being worked there, that the the Hebrew people would have well known that there is value in that, that there is there can be chaos or fear or unknown there. But knowing that the Lord is sovereign, even over things that they see to be uncontrollable, is obviously a theme that is at play here as they consider their enemy of Babylon coming eminently upon them and knowing that the Lord is sovereign over the sea. He is sovereign over our outcome. We can trust and rest in him. Yeah, bringing that out, definitely. I hadn't thought about that. What Habakkuk's doing here is he is recounting to himself ways that the Lord has been faithful in past history. Like you said, Aunt Elizabeth, that those stories aren't just stories, that they're actual historical events that are true, that where God has shown himself to be the God of history. He's bringing those back to mind in order to encourage himself for what's going to come in the future and what is his current present. So what are some of the ways for y'all that God has proven himself to work in your life, ways that uh, in the past that have coincided with who he has revealed himself to be in scripture? And how does remembering those actions of God in your past give you courage? I have two examples I thought of, one from a while ago and one more recent. First, when I was a senior in high school, I assumed that I would attend UGA. That's where about half of my class ended up going. That's where my dad went. A lot of my family went there. It just made sense. I applied there, and that was my plan. I also was considering other places, notably Furman, although I decided that was pretty much not where I was going to go. I got into Georgia and Furman and and decided Georgia was absolutely where I was going. As time neared the final commitment date, I started wondering if I had given enough prayer to this decision because I'm not really sure if I had. And I started having thoughts of if I was actually supposed to go to Furman. I started claiming the verse Isaiah 30, 21, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way walk in it. Now, quick caveat, I I know now that I was taking that verse out of context, but how sweet it was of the Lord to still use it in my life and to direct me in the path he desired. And we do know that it is true that the Lord leads us in his way and will direct us as it says in Proverbs 16, 9. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. I have always struggled with decision making, and it can be rooted in anxiety and also not in not trusting the Lord to accomplish his purposes. It can also easily become me focused and not focused on Christ. So as the final commitment date neared, I struggled through prayer and thought about where I should go. As a high school senior, a college decision can feel like one of the biggest looming decisions of one's life. I remember I had to decide by May 1st. This also coincided with an in-town discipleship weekend our church youth group was having. Our church youth pastor hired a discipleship ministry that we were already connected with that was based in Athens, Georgia, and many of the trained college students serving in that ministry attended UGA, which makes sense since it's the same city. Well, I met my leader Friday night, the leader for the senior girls, and as she was telling us about herself, she informed us that she attended Furman. 
I think she may have been the only person in that ministry at that time who attended Furman. And she was my leader for the weekend, not the junior leader, not the sophomores, not the freshmen. She was the leader of the senior girls. Coincidence? No, there are no coincidences. I almost burst into tears when she told me what college she attended. And that night, I talked with her for a long time about Furman and asked many questions and talked through a lot. By the next morning, the Lord made it clear to me where I was supposed to go to college. Now, important point, I realize and I know that either place would have been amazing places to go. The Lord would have taught me and grown me at either college and both were great places to attend. I will say, though, that it was a sweet reminder to me that the Lord directs my thoughts and my ways and that in my heart I can plan my course but it is truly the Lord who determines my step. This really revealed his character to me as I left home for the first time and went to a city and college that I was much less familiar with than the one I was planning on attending. He is faithful and he is concerned with the process of sanctification and he will show us his deep care for us along the way. And as I look to the future, I can trust that the Lord will direct me even in my inadequacies of not understanding a scripture context fully and even in my weaknesses and struggling with decisions and worry. Second, one of my children got badly injured recently, and it was very hard for me as a mom to see him hurting and not being immediately sure how he was. Thankfully, he is okay now, praise the Lord. About a week or so after his injury, I was driving in the car with two of my children and a song by the Gettys came on. The beginning lyrics are, The one who made the heavens made my heart and soul. Before I drew a breath, I was loved and known. I am his creation, the maker's masterpiece, and all that he designs will be done in me. Now, our family listens to all sorts of music. My kids love everything from Rain for Roots, Ellie Holcomb, The Floor is Lava, Jesus Loves Me, The Wheels on the Bus. Well, two of my kids, one of whom was the one who got badly injured while this song was beginning and these lyrics were playing, said, this is my favorite song. Now, this caught my attention, especially since it's not necessarily the song I would think would be two young kids' favorite song. I listened closely to the stanza that was playing and immediately realized the Lord was reminding me in a small way, He has my children. He loves my child who is injured. He made him, knows him, cares for him, and loves him more than I do. And He used my children to remind me of this truth just days after the injury. Psalm 139 reveals these truths. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Verses 13 through 14, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Verse 16, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. This is the God we love and serve. In scripture, we see Jesus loving and caring for children deeply in a society that did not value children. It was a sweet word of the Lord to me just a week or so after my child's injury that he holds all my children in, in his hands. It is not up to me. Who caused my children to say that was their favorite song? I know the Lord is sovereign and I really think the Lord wanted to remind me of his deep care, love, and attentiveness to them. His work in them is not finished and I'm thankful for that. Well, when I look at the remembrance of Habakkuk and the ways that God has provided for his people and delivered his people and protected them, they're big events and ways that he's done it. And I more often come to mind verses that would remind me of like how God's worked in my life. And one of them relates to my salvation story and it's Romans 
12 verses 1 and 2, and the verses are, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Like I said, this is, these verses are part of my salvation story. It was one of the first times that scripture was real to me personally, and I had been pursued by a classmate and a Bible study leader while I was in PT school, and I had seen um, how their lives were different than mine, and I'd seen what it was to follow Jesus. And then reading these verses, it was on a mission trip, these were the theme verses, it really spoke to me of offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, not everything else that's out there. And the do not conform to the pattern of this world was just really convicting of of thinking that I was in charge and in control. And really, I was like following the ways of the world and just going from one thing to the next as far as this group of friends was doing that. So I'm going to join them and um, and not really following the Lord as I thought I, I, I was a believer and I really was not. And so that one is just one that sticks out and is, is currently like one that keeps popping up because it's actually our kid's school verse. So I get to see it a lot and just have that memory a lot of how the Lord delivered me and saved me and, and, and really made it where I truly knew him instead of knew of him because I, I I knew who Jesus was. I just never actually knew him as a savior. The The next one is also one of those where it's a little bit out of context for where the time of my life, but it was one that just brought me encouragement. Um, and it is Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And this was Moses kind of passing the baton of faith to Joshua and um, encouraging him and his role in the leadership and, and the future of what was to come ahead in, in that role. And, and so this is not at all related to me being a leader in any capacity, but it was shared in a Bible study uh, by a student. And it was just one that for some reason I put it on my screensaver on my phone. It's still on there. And I didn't realize that I would like need it and continue to go back to it. And so I, uh, I had done a few things that I didn't recognize were going to be like in some ways the Lord going ahead of me. We were pregnant uh, for a second time and I had when I, we were excited joyful I went ahead and shared with folks pretty early like around the seven eight week mark and then I actually had a miscarriage around 11 weeks um, and it was a pretty hard time but I do see how the Lord by me deciding to share that early which people were like oh don't do that wait till the first trimester it provided people who could support me and encourage me and Anne Elizabeth was one of those people um but I see how the Lord went before me in providing um, friends and believers who could encourage me and love me through that. And then even being able to relate to a friend who had been experiencing that through infertility and um, not for me, not truly understanding how to help and how to encourage and, and how to be a friend in that. So I see how the Lord was going before me and preparing people to support me and, and being with me during that time to to provide comfort and even this verse again I wasn't being a leader of any sorts but I just needed a reminder that in in all situations that God is God is with you he went before you he's not going to leave you that's beautiful Chrissy I love that you're just testifying of the Lord's goodness in a time that was mm-hmm. hard and just to even see you still tender over that and appreciate you sharing that it's a story that I think resonates with so many women yeah there's something about walking through that hard place in testifying to the Lord's goodness when it's something that you've um, rightfully we all as mamas fear I had a miscarriage around that same time and 
it was my first child and I just didn't even expect it at all. Like that just wasn't on my radar that that would even happen. Mm -hmm. And so there's something about being able to walk through that thing that you think that that was one of those worst case scenarios as a mama, you fear losing a child. And I was, I've been reading um, Travis Scott's Faithful Doubt book as we go along through Habakkuk. And he's talking about that in this prayer of Habakkuk's that he is practicing like a, a gritty sort of faith. And by gritty, like it's got something to hold on to. It's a little rough. It, 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 it digs in uh, versus what he would say is a blind optimism. And so he was asking, you know, what is the difference? And that's what we're going to talk about here in a minute between a blind optimism and a really gritty faith. Because he says, you know, that Habakkuk remembering all of these things that he's recounting, it shows that it's not a blind optimism. It's not wishful thinking in the midst of evil and suffering. It's rooted in an understanding of history. And this is directly from Travis Scott. He's trusting in the God who is and the God he knows exists because he has worked and acted in history. So this is the God who has spoken promises to his people and then proven he is both willing and able to fulfill those promises. And so with that in mind, how would y'all describe the difference between a blind optimism and a remembering faith? And uh, how do you see that giving Habakkuk a gritty sort of faith or yourself, really? How does your remembering produce a gritty sort of faith in your own life? So I felt like, too, that the the blind op- optimism could be and somewhat uh, true na- um, naivety of things or either by choice. You don't want to know it um, or you don't want to discover the truth because there might be a fear that it would kill your optimism. So you just think maybe it's better not to know. But it doesn't really have a foundation or any sort of true history to follow. And it seemed to me that if you had a pos- positive outlook, it's going to be like what you can muster, what you, you can make up yourself. And so you have this inward strength or this like personal like resilience that you're going to have to use to like maintain it or to manifest it. And that like gritty faith or remembering faith has this recognition that faith is a gift and it's from the Lord and it's through the actions of the Lord. And it has been tested. It's been proven. And so when you have the optimism and the joy, it's authentic and it's without reservation. So you can find it if you're looking back kind of like bigger history of what God has done for his people or if you're looking at like personal circumstances in your life and you see where God was faithful, God delivered you, God protected you. I felt like trying to practice the gritty faith would require like knowing God's word, reading God's word, and also the community that God provides for us so that you can, um, you both have your own story, you know how God's provided for you, but you hear of how God has provided for your friends or their children or brought people through impossible circumstances. So I actually thought of some song lyrics when I was thinking about blind optimism, and I'll just read them really quickly. Hakuna Matata, what a wonderful <laughs> phrase. Hakuna Matata, ain't no passing craze. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. So I was just thinking the, the mantra of blind optimism could be everything's fine. Everything's going to be good. Just being happy. Everything's okay because everything's going to be okay. 
There's no other reason other than just a phrase, and there's no basis other than positivity for the sake of positivity. It is shallow and unfounded. On the other hand, a remembering faith looks back at all the ways the Lord has been faithful and all that he has done for his glory and his people. Its focus is on who God is and what he has done, not on self. It has its basis in the character of the Lord. So remembering faith focuses on history, even before one's finite time, and looks at the Lord's work in all of history and in one's life. So Habakkuk's remembering faith gives him a gritty faith because he is getting outside of himself and his present circumstances and seeing all the Lord has done throughout history. He is remembering when the Lord parted the Red Sea for them, when he allowed the sun to delay in setting while Joshua was fighting the Amorites, when he protected them in the wilderness. All these things that the Lord did shows his care for them and his power and his ultimate plan and displays the confidence that Habakkuk can have in the Lord's future care for them. And ultimately, the Lord will defeat death through Jesus. So in his remembering all of these things that the Lord has done, Habakkuk is getting outside of himself and remembering the Lord's character, which helps him to have a gritty faith as he moves into the future. And I was just thinking, if you look at Habakkuk and his language in chapter one versus chapter three, you see the shift with how he addresses the Lord. In chapter one, he is more focused on self. And in chapter three, as he's beginning to remember who the Lord is and what he has done, he is becoming more focused on the Lord. And when I think about how to seek to better practice a remembering gritty faith, it is so easy for me to forget what the Lord has done when I'm not in the word consistently. Some new event occurs and I can easily be pulled into it and start to worry or start trying to figure it out immediately. One thing I read recently in an Eli Holcomb devotional was the phrasing, my times are in your hands, which comes from Psalm 31, 14 to 15. A friend of mine and I were texting about this recently, and she pointed out to me from a scripture reference in the devotional that his hands are nail pierced hands and our times are in those hands. Y'all, these hands were pierced for our transgressions and our times are in those hands those loving, sacrificing hands. So one way I think I can practice a remembering gritty faith is repeatedly reminding myself of that truth that my, t- that my times are in the hands of the one who died and rose again and that his hands are trustworthy. When something happens, instead of immediately worrying or trying to figure it out, I can practice immediately praying, my times are in your hands and your hands are trustworthy. Another quick thought centers around time in scripture. I mentioned this a little bit already, but the more I'm studying scripture, seeing what the Lord does in scripture and how he is faithful to his people, that will over time help me to have a remembering gritty faith. Simply put, the more I fix my eyes on Jesus, the more the Lord can develop a remembering faith in me through his grace and power. I think what I especially love is that y'all are pulling out the fact that part of that gritty faith does come from keeping yourself in scripture. And I think it, it could be easy to hold on to ideas of God that we have, that we have either gotten from inside ourselves or our culture or how we were raised or whatever it would be. And they don't end up proving to be true to who he's revealed himself to be. And you don't always necessarily know when you're deviating. And so when I do go to scripture, I find, oh yeah, okay, I've thought this, but that's not what you say, you know, and, and always when I go to scripture, who God proves himself to be is deeper and richer and more godlike than something I've come up with. But um, that blind optimism does tend to not look there. It looks someplace else. Yeah, I I appreciate what you're saying. Just the cultural narrative is so easy to fall into if we are not looking for truth. And we will, you know, be tossed by the waves of whatever our cultural 
narrative is and whatever the crowd around us is going with. And it is so important to root ourselves in the word of the Lord. And I love how y'all are both just bringing out, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but I think it's worth revisiting that it's so idolatrous to have almost, or to have that, um, blind optimism because then it is self-centered we're toiling for our own deliverance we're toiling even to fight for our own rest and it's all about me like I have to have the optimism I'm going to get my bootstraps I'm going to be optimistic and I'm going to make this right with the Lord and I'm going to make this right with the world and it's impossible but also just the fact that the Lord is gifting us his rest and the, the right worship of him he's saying come and rest with me sit under my righteousness sit under my provision sit under my sovereignty when we consider a deliverer that walked through death itself to bring us life that he walked through justice to bring us mercy like he's taken on the brunt of our sin and consequence so that we might know true life with him that we might walk through death without fear so that we might know true life with him. I mean, that is such a gritty faith. Like, how can it not be a gritty faith when you trust a savior like that, that you've known to be good, that has gone to great lengths to redeem you and invites you into that goodness? Yep. It's better than anything you can make up. It is, it totally is. I think that's the, the, I guess, maybe the distinction you're drawing out there is that blind optimism is an invention. It is not a reality. Correct. Well, Christy and Anne Elizabeth, thank you both for joining us today. Listeners, we hope you'll join us again next week. You can let us keep you company while you carve a fall pumpkin or make a batch of chili. Caroline Albanese and Kay Harris will be joining us to talk about Habakkuk 3, 16 through 19. We hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again. A season of clear shining to cheer it after the rain.